A Nefarious Nightmare is a true crime podcast focusing on lesser-known crimes and crimes against those deemed extra vulnerable. Every now and then, we cover more well-known crimes due to the fact that it is relevant or even interesting regarding the cases we cover. And the B is a symbol for all victims as we recognize their strength, resilience, and vulnerability. So join us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about any podcast platform. Remember, when you mess with the bees, you get the hive. You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. This is Sirens, a true crime podcast. The Freeman Bible Saga contains interviews from Lorene Bible, Laura's mother, Lisa Broderick, Laura's cousin, and Jax Miller, author of Hell in the Heartland. Mandy and I have collectively been working on this case for almost a year now. We have connected to it deeply and hope that you will do the same. If you have any information on where Laura or Ashley can be found, please contact police. Leave a tip with the girls' Facebook page, or you can leave an anonymous tip on our website at www.thesirenspodcast.com contact. Thank you for listening. The sheriff once told me this part of Oklahoma was haunted, that once you're a part of it, you can't ever leave. Uh, anyway, I have with me today, I'm Raven, by the way, <laughs> in case anybody wondered. Um, today I have with me again, Professor Mandy McNeely. Hello. And, um, she worked pretty closely with me on this case that we're going to bring to you today, yes. which is the Ashley Freeman Laura Bible case. Now... We did some digging for this one. Yes. I need to know everything about it, especially since this all happened in one roundabouts area, um, Vanita and Pitcher and Welch, Oklahoma, around in there. And from where we sit currently, that is, depending, an hour to an hour and a half to two hours away. But, yeah. And so we were like, we need to get up there. Yes. And so we got in contact with, well, first of all, I got in contact with Jax, um, who actually wrote Hell in the Heartland. Who's amazing. And um, she has agreed to be on the podcast as well. She has given us so much resources and like information it's just been crazy and um she actually got us in contact with Lorene Bible which is um Laura's mother and so this is going to be kind of a very different sort of um podcast episode because what we're doing is we went up and interviewed um Lorene so when it comes to you, we're going to have it all in one nice, delicious bundle. What I want to do with this is we are going to tell you about this case. And then I am going to patch in 
uh, Lorene's interview that we did. And you'll have to mind the birds because <laughs> we were actually sitting outside at the memorial with her when we recorded this. And all I had was my um, remote recorder. So, um, so mind the chirping. But uh, I think that it still sounds great. She sounded great and she has a lot of information. I want to let her tell you this story from her point of view. It's She's such an advocate, such an advocate. We're kind of doing the same thing with Jax. So when we get her on here, um, we're going to have more than likely a two-part, maybe even a three-part episode here. So... I think this story will engulf you like it it did us. It yeah, really it grabs you. It haunts me. Like, it's, that's the perfect word for it. We went to, um, we started this journey. Of course, we, we read the book. We did the digging. We did the research. Um, we learned everything we could about this case. And then we went and talked to Lorraine. Um we met her in Vanita. <laughs> Originally, first we met her in first Vanita. First we met her in Vanita. And um, we were supposed to meet her at this one little park or whatever. And they were having like a party there. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's birthday not party. appropriate. <laughs> yeah. So we ended up just going ahead and following her to the um, the memorial site for the girls, which is in Pitcher. And if you guys haven't heard our episode on Pitcher yet, you need to go back and listen to that like right now because you're going to want to know about this place. Um, you're going to want to know about everything about it before you jump into this because this is, it's one of the key places in this story. And it is a bizarre place. It is. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty sure that when we were there, I uh, I might have gotten a little bit of radiation poisoning. <laughs> well, and I had metallic gold coming down my arm. Yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Um, we were there. Like I said, we were there with her for um, about two hours. And I was like, I was feeling it by the time that we left. I like had a headache. And it was, was windy. Kind of nauseous. And yeah. And and that, the thing about it is when you go back and you listen to the picture episode, we portrayed it as this ghost town. Now, when I did the episode, I had never been to picture before. And granted, there are most of it, big parts of it is, yes, a, a ghost town. Yeah. But there is a road that goes right through it. The middle. Right through the middle. And it's a nice road. And there's plenty of people on it. And it goes... I think we accidentally ended up in Kansas at one point. Because, I mean, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump Mm -hmm. from Pitcher to Kansas. Yeah. We ended up having to turn around and, and go, oops, and come back. But yeah, there's still people going through there. Even when we were at the memorial, there were people driving by. There's there's people living there. So I'm not really sure, like, I don't know why people say that it's, it's absolute ghost town. Because there are people there. It was quite busy, surprisingly. Yeah. It was bumbling. It quite was busy past yeah. the memorial, too. Yeah. A lot of people went down to, I think, see the memorial. Which the memorial wasn't too far 
off the main road. You it, can't go too far. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's so many places that are no. the roads are caved in. Um, yes, and that's the thing is that we don't recommend you going to Pitcher. We did this but as part of our research. We knew the risks going to Pitcher. We knew that there was going to be radiation. We knew that there was a huge possibility that our car might just get enveloped in a mine or something that the the road could wash out at any minute. Um, we knew all the risks. And the fact that it is just absolute covered in, in chat piles everywhere. Like, you drive into it, you know you're in picture because you start seeing all those chat piles. And the water's metallic green. Yes. Yes. And it was weird because um, we, I don't, we saw a deer on the way we out. We saw a deer. Um, and it looked fine, I think. <laughs> it's just passing through. <laughs> Um, but while we were there, it was really neat because there were a lot of um, butterflies. There were. That were right there. Right there in the, in the memorial. At the memorial. Um, yeah, and she was telling us that something about, um, what was it she was saying about the butterflies? That she always thought that the butterflies were some sort of sign that Laura was like there. She was like reaching out or whatever. So I thought it was really weird that we were basically sitting there covered in butterflies this whole time. But you know, you're in a place that the only the roads that are really drivable are the main road or maybe one or two roads outside of that. Yeah. And you know, there's chat piles everywhere and then you go to this memorial and there's butterflies and birds chirping. And so, you know, it's almost like you're in this peaceful, serene surrounded yeah. by all this chaos it was really peaceful yeah it really and was so it, it's it just really kind of signify it I was think. it was somber but it was also serene yeah yeah i mean so we'll just start at the beginning laura bible she was born april 18th 1983 and ashley freeman who was born december 30th 1983 now all of this stuff takes place in 99. So we're going, we're going back. And I just, since the girls are technically missing, I just want to put this out real quick. Um, it's just a real quick description of the girls, just in case you never know. And so Laura was 5'5", five five, Ashley was 5'7". Laura was about 130 pounds. Ashley was about 145 So they're both Caucasian females. Laura had brown hair, hazel eyes. She had a little mole under her nose. It looked like, um, what do they call those? A beauty mark. Um, Yeah, a beauty mark. And um, she also had a scar on her head and pierced ears. Ashley, on the other hand, is uh, dark blonde. I think what you call a dishwater blonde. Um, Blue eyes, a scar on the upper left side of her forehead, and a very athletic build. These girls were amazing. Lisa Bible Broderick is my name, and um, I'm Laura's cousin. We were raised more like sisters, um, but she is my cousin. Six years younger than me. Well, the dynamic, which is so funny, it was I'm the oldest, I'm the firstborn grandchild, oldest granddaughter, and then we have Melissa, who's Mm -hmm. three years younger than me, and then Laura was three years younger than her. So the three of us did everything together. There were only five granddaughters total and there's 19 grandkids. Wow. So lots of boys in our family. And my, my grandparents had, um, eight children, six boys, two girls, Yeah. Um, which two of them had passed away, but always more boys. So us girls kind of stuck together. 
And to. oddly now I have my daughter and then my two nieces is exactly the same, that three year oh. spread for all three of them. So it's so bizarre sometimes That's watching cool. them because it's just like a repeat yeah. of what it was That's for what us. Say, history repeats itself. Well, yeah. So well, she was really always did. the one that was following us around wanting to do what we were yeah. doing and her being the baby, she was the jokester of the family, but you could manipulate her to do anything, oh, no. you know, like <laughs> We, one of the things that we always love to do, and I talk about this a lot when we were kids, uh, especially around 4th of July when firecrackers would come out, we would set a bucket out on the ground and light a firecracker and sit, throw it underneath, and somebody had to sit on the bucket. To, oh, no. Topped. And so we would, she would always be the kid to sit on the bucket while we threw no a firecracker under. Ever sit on the bucket once. Oh, bucket. <laughs> so fun. You should totally do that. Ten gallon bucket. So oh much fun. Goodness. But she wouldn't shy away from doing anything. She was, she wanted to do whatever we told her to do. You know, she and she was a little baby doll. Team, We'd man. dress her up and she was the time, like she didn't grow for the longest time. Oh. So she was like eight years old, still wearing like toddler clothes because she was so little. Oh my gosh. She was our own little baby doll. I'd set her up on the stool and fix her hair and makeup every weekend, all weekend long. Like, come to grandma's, let's go do hair and makeup. And that's what we did. So now was she into hair and makeup later? Oh yeah. Because of that? Yeah. Because yeah, I could see that happening. It was probably forced upon her. We probably pulled her hair so many times with a hairbrush (laughs) that she thought one day I'm going to pay them back. (laughs) Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, for sure. But she was, um, she was just the fun kid, you know, like you, I feel like there's one in every family that just radiates fun. Yeah. And she was that kid. And it's the goof. She was crazy kid. You couldn't, you couldn't upset her. Yeah. Everything was a joke. She would smile and laugh about everything. And even if she got mad at you, all you'd do is look at her cross-eyed and she'd bust up laughing and then it was (laughs) over, you know, that's it. Time to move on. Whereas the rest of us could be mad and cross our arms and stomp off, she was not that kid. It, you know, it makes you wonder, like, if that personality would have stayed with her, you know? Like, that's oh, yeah. rare, I think, is, is to have a personality that you don't get just, like, immediately upset. That's just kind of like, let's just kind of let it let it go. Yeah. yeah. It's not worth keeping, holding on to or whatever. Yeah, you yeah. Know? She, she had that infectious... You couldn't help but smile when you were around her. And if you weren't smiling, she was going to make you smile. Yeah. Like, that's just how she was. Uh, we had taken a vacation once. Um, well, we did every summer. We went to Colorado to go camping. And um, my Aunt Lorene had a blazer, white blazer. And so her and my Uncle Jay drove and the three of us girls were in the back seat all the way. I think she sang to us. Was she a good singer? Way. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it didn't matter. She didn't know she wasn't. I mean, she was probably okay. I don't know. But because we were kids and it was just like. <sighs> Did she have like a favorite song um, that she liked to sing? I don't, I don't really remember what a favorite song would have been. Just whatever it was. She was just built. Reba McIntyre. That was, oh, Reba yeah, was Reba. my favorite. Okay. So that became her favorite. Okay. Yeah. In that particular trip, I remember when we got to Colorado and we were like okay the music's off no no she took her little boom box and climbs up on the side of the mountain so we're in this valley she click turns it on and here she's sitting up there just singing at the top of her lungs and it's just echoing oh my goodness somewhere somebody 
it has a picture. They're bound to have a picture still. That's of her amazing. sitting on the side of that mountain with her little boom box in her arms, just singing her little lungs out. Didn't matter what was going on. Like, that's who she was. That was her personality. That is amazing. Like, where the rest of us would never have been yeah. caught dead doing that, she didn't care. Carefree is the way to be. She was, yeah, definitely. I hadn't been out there since I was 17. The summer before my senior year was the last time I went. And so it had been a while and a couple of summers ago, I'm trying to remember if it was when, it was right before COVID hit in the fall. I wasn't in the summer, it was in the fall about this time of year. Um, I had really wanted to go since both our grandparents had passed away. It just was really pulling on me mm -hmm. to go back. And so that was the first time I had been back out there and I was able to drive right to our campsite and I hadn't been there since I was 17. Wow. Yeah, I'm like, I know, because I, I went so many times. I'm like, I know I can find it. It looks a little different because I was much yeah. older. It yeah. didn't look as big as it did yeah. when I was a kid. Yeah. I think that, isn't that weird? The river, because it was right on the Rio Grande and I'm like, Man, that seemed a whole lot bigger when I was a kid. That was like a watering <laughs> hole. What's going on here? Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and uh, so we were out there on the campsite, and I just remember looking up on that mountain, and I could just see her sitting there, even though, you know, it had been that many years. So cool. And that, actually, that trip, I'm trying to remember. You think I they'd was... be mad if we painted a boombox on that rock? <laughs> <laughs> I was probably maybe 13 or 14 that trip. I could make that happen actually. I bet someone that lives there. So yeah, it was but it was just like being in that spot I could I could just almost hear and see her up that's, on the side of that mountain again. That's so cool. so. Um, Ashley was a tomboy, if there ever was one. She really enjoyed hunting and fishing and raising farm animals and being outdoors. And Laura, on the other hand, was a cheerleader and she was described as, quote, always being in the middle of everything. <laughs> That's how family members That's described awesome. her. She had to be in the middle of everything. Um, she also loved farm animals, and I think that's kind of where the two girls bonded. When did her and Ashley meet? Weren't they, they were pretty they young. They were always they? friends, yeah. Yep. And I didn't ever really know Ashley all that much, oddly enough. Um, I mean, I knew who she was and I knew that they were friends. Yeah. But when we were doing family stuff, Ashley wasn't there yeah. so much. Yeah. So I never really, I mean, I knew Ashley. I knew who she was, but I didn't really know her. Shane, I just knew of him. I knew who he was, but I didn't have a relationship with him. The same no. Yeah. yeah. So he would have been about three years younger than me. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course he was at Welch. I graduated here from Miami. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And then Laura was at Blue Jacket, which I had been to Blue Jacket and then moved here. Okay. Yeah. And she was like, she was super into animals and stuff like uh -huh. that, right? Yeah. Yep. She uh, for, liked to show. Was it for uh huh. Yep. For FFA, FFA, all that FFA, stuff. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. All into her show animals. That was her thing. When I was 16, that was kind of the year 16, 17 was whenever they told us we couldn't drag Maine anymore. Mm -hmm. And so by the time she was driving, that wasn't even a thing anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, any given Friday, Saturday night, we were always uptown because that's what we did. We drove, mm -hmm. dragged Maine, went to Sonic, hung out in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. All teenagers could be found there. By that time, they weren't doing that anymore. I feel so like it was, it was like 
Woods. a creek that ran behind Ashley's house. Let's go on an adventure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so they spent yeah, a lot of time. Yeah, that's where that picture was taken. That The, uh-huh, the token picture. Oh, yeah. okay. Mm-hmm. In front of the creek. I guess I didn't realize that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they would. They spent a lot yeah. of time back in there. We would. Goofing around. Back there playing the creek, playing uh-huh. the ditches. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. Doing that stuff. Play, we always played in the hay barn. We built mm-hmm. forts in the hay barn. Yeah, oh yeah. Things like that. Go. But the creek that ran back in there was was really pretty, and it was just mm-hmm. a fun place for them to go hang out back there if they went. And um, but Ashley probably spent more time at Laura's house than Laura did at Ashley's house. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and uh, really, kind of by the point that she was so tied up with her farm animals, I had gotten married, mm-hmm. and oh. so we kind of had that. We were all growing up, and she was doing her thing, and Melissa was doing her thing, and I was doing my yeah. thing. And uh, so that last few years, we didn't see each other as much as we did because I had gotten married and and uh, was trying to build a, a life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, nonetheless, I still saw her on the weekends whenever I would go to grandma's or sure. whatever. And so um, when the girls were little, they only lived two miles away from each other. They had regular play dates. And so they became inseparable and just kind of bonded over, you know, young, the young bond, you know. And then later in high school, Laura's family actually moved to Vanita, right? Well, and Ashley's parents moved to Welch. Okay. Yeah. See, that's the one thing that I was, I forget where they originally lived at. They lived originally in Benita. Okay. And then they moved to Welch to some of Danny Freeman's family's land. I believe. Right, right. Okay. And so um, they kind of had to do this. They were going to separate high schools at the time. And, of course, you know, that makes it harder to hang out, you know, all day, every day. And it's not really close. No, it's not. I mean, you know, when we went up there, we started, of course, we started in Tulsa. And we ended up going through Vanita and then heading to Welch and then going from Welch to Pitcher. And it is about, so it's like an hour from Tulsa to Vanita. Mm-hmm. And then it's like 40-ish minutes from Vanita to Welch. Close. It's further than I thought yeah. it was going to be. And actually, I think Welch is closer to Pitcher than Vanita is to it Welch. That way. It was like 17, 18 minutes, I think, if I remember correctly. I could be totally wrong. No, that, it was it was a little ways. I was surprised how far yeah. away it was. So that would, that would show why the girls didn't really get to hang out all yeah. that much. Well, and not only that, but neither of them at the time. Okay, so Laura had just turned 16 in April. She was the only one with a vehicle. Ashley, when all of this stuff we're about to talk about happened, she had just... So, yeah, I mean, the girls had to, it was basically Laura had to drive to her, pick her up and take her home or, you know, whatever. And so when they got together, the, the, they liked to spend, you know, a little bit more time together because they didn't get to see each other that yeah. much. So I think this particular time, it was the holidays. They were out for the holidays. It was Ashley's birthday. Yeah, it was and like so, weekends at a time. So they were yeah. together like days at a time, yeah. you know, during this this period. Do you remember the last time you saw her? At Christmas, right before she left, oh, okay. before she was gone, taken. Yeah. 
Christmas Eve, actually. Yeah, my grandpa, uh, my grandpa's birthday is Christmas Day. So tradition always was Christmas Eve night was always spent with the grandparents. And we would celebrate grandpa's birthday and and do gifts. So it would have been Christmas Eve night. And Christmas is her favorite too, right? Uh Yeah, it's, I don't know how that happened that we're so Christmas crazy. And you know, it's so crazy because we always celebrate Laura's birthday and we think about it being her birthday. Oddly, I, until last year, it, it's like it totally would just skip my mind that the 29th was her birthday. Like that's what, that's why Laura was there. That's why we're in this situation. It was, she'd went for Ashley's birthday, but it just is, that's just the day that everything went wrong Mm -hmm. in it. I forget that that was Ashley's birthday. Yeah. So yeah. And she, she had stayed with her for a few days. Mm -hmm. She'd been there on her second night. Yeah. 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 So then we go to the night of December 29th, 1999. And um, I believe that day they had celebrated Ashley's 16th birthday. Uh, Laura was there during the celebration. She had spent the night the night before. She had, yeah. And um, Ashley's parents were there, Dan- Danny and Kathy Freeman. Uh, her boyfriend, Jeremy Hurst, was there, and they celebrated at the Freeman's mobile home. Lorene gave us the directions to go and check out where the home was. And it is not in Venita. No. And there's so. several <laughs> articles out on the internet or mm-hmm. several social media sites that say it's in Venita. It is not. It's actually outside of Welch city yeah. limits. It's right outside of Welch, about 10 miles right outside of and Welch. And it is, it is very rural. It, yes. Extremely. We kind of got lost. Extremely <laughs> rural. And there. I mean, you know, I say rural and you're thinking, okay, it's like off of a main road. No, it's off of a main road, off of a main road. Yeah. And there were like deer and stuff on the side of the road as we were driving in there so and like cows and and the thing about it too is that there there weren't any um and even at the time there weren't any neighbors there's yeah. like one house on the corner when you first turn in there and then you go it's down there far like, down too yeah it was miles down that road yeah um dirt road yeah. so if it's not in Vanita, just no. bt dubs yes. <laughs> it's right outside of welch about 10 minutes uh but anyway so um, they actually left there around 9.30 p.m. The girls had spent the day prepping for a livestock showing for the county fair and the state fair. They were part of the FFA, which is the Future Farmers of America, and the 4-H club they both belong to. Um, Ashley had two goats named Jack and Jill, and Laura had two pigs and a lamb. I don't know why I needed that information, but I'm glad that I have it. <laughs> I love pigs. So, sometime during the night or the early morning hours of December 30th, 1999, a fire erupted inside the Freeman's mobile home. Now, a concerned neighbor, um, and when I say concerned neighbor, what I mean is a guy driving along the road from miles from his home just happened by it because they don't have really any neighbors. Yeah. Oh. And he went to work every morning at like five o'clock or and something so in the morning. So the yeah, he smoke. saw it, and so he uh, apparently drove close to it, 
and um, he is the one that called 911 around 5.50 a.m. on the morning of December 30th, 1999. The Welch Fire Department responded at 6.10 a.m. They got there at 6.10. Now, we just told you (laughs) it's only 10 minutes outside of Welch, and it took them 20 minutes to get there. Granted, it's a volunteer fire department, and it is hard to find. It is hard to find. I mean... Sometimes you assume that, like, everyone knows where everyone lives, especially if you live out there alone, but that's not necessarily true, because we lived kind of in a, a rural place like this when I was younger. We lived um, outside of Conewa, Oklahoma. I did not know anyone around me, except di- the direct neighbor next to me, so I couldn't tell you who lived out there. But yeah, so they responded 20 minutes later. They fought the flames for, now it says, some places it says one hour, some places it says three hours. There's some discrepancy in the yeah. timing. Um, I'm not exactly sure how long it took them, but I do know that they fought it until the trailer collapsed under the pressure of the water that was coming from the hoses. Yes. Well, and how long was it going before and that's the a great question. called in the... I mean, it could yeah. have been going, because it looks like it had been probably going for a while, but they had, at, at one point, they had assumed that it, it had began somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. Yeah, so probably a good hour. A good hour, yeah, is what we assume. So, the CCSO was at the scene soon after the fire department with Sheriff George Vaughn in charge, and along with him came under Sheriff Mark Hayes, Lieutenant Jim Herman, and Investigator Charles Cozart, and Deputy Troy Messick. So, Dwayne Vansell, who was Danny Freeman's stepbrother and Ashley's uncle, was 25 minutes away from the home at the doctor's office that morning when he was informed that the house was on fire. When he got to the scene, the undersheriff walked him up to the house. This is so crazy. If this I'm just for, over here shaking my head. If this is the first time that you're hearing of this case, just get ready is all I'm going to say. Because you're, you're going to be like, okay, well, she's got wrong information, obviously. No. I don't. No, it is correct. <laughs> so, yeah, just just wait. Um, so, yes, walked him up to the house and informed him that they had found a body inside the home. They actually led him to the body and let him see it. Of course, Dwayne at this time assumed that it's Kathy Freeman, which is Ashley's mother. I would I would like to add mm-hmm. that the reason I think it was assumed that it was her is because there was a waterbed in the bedroom that had burst with the fire and it had actually preserved mm-hmm. some of the body because of the water being around. So it was, I think, a little bit easier to identify her. I mean, you would think because the because the house was burned down that it would have been really hard. Mm-hmm. But I think because of the water, it yeah. actually preserved. So you'd be able to tell it was a woman. Um, I do know that one side of her, the side that was exposed, um, was pretty much burnt up. But they had actually turned the body over, and yes, the water, I think, preserved it. The, and so yeah. the other side was, I'm not going to say fully uh, identifiable, but enough. Enough, yeah. Um, CCSO deputies noted that the body was found near 7.30 a.m. Three minutes later, the deputies were back in the front yard vacating the crime scene. The body was found by the fire department. 
It was only briefly observed by the deputies. Um, it was in the bedroom, in the in the master bedroom. She was lying face down in the wrong direction on the bed, and the fire had destroyed much of the exposed part of her body. The upper back and butt were burned to, down to the muscle, and the feet and lower legs had been burned completely off, from what I understand. Um, her skull was shattered. Around her head, bricks were scattered around. At the time, they didn't know if the bricks had fallen during the fire and killed her because she was sleeping or what had happened. They initially assumed that she was struck by a brick and killed that way. Uh, But the deputies out front refused to re-enter the home until OSBI showed up. When they got up there, found out the Freeman's house was on fire, that morning, they found Dan, uh, Kathy laying over the waterbed, the only floor left in the house. Saw her body. The sheriff's department immediately stopped what they were doing. The fire department finished putting out the fire that was smoldering and, and stood back. Mm-hmm. They said, Lorraine, we watched those deputies just go sit down and call. And they called OSBI in. And there's some backstory there on that relationship between that county's. Yeah. Um, department. Yeah, and um, we're going to get to that a little later. And uh, Lorene also has some insight on that. We're going to kind of move forward here, and then we'll give you some backstory here in a little bit. So, an autopsy determined that Kathy had been actually shot to death. Donna Warren. Mm-hmm. So we had to wait for her to get done. Both days, actually. The first day, she was doing a wreck. And she had to go pronounce somebody dead at the scene. Mm. Uh, by the time she gets out to the Freemans, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So we'd sit there from 8 o'clock in the morning to 2 o'clock in the oh afternoon not doing nothing. That's a long That's time. That's such a and long time. And even when the OSBI agents got there, they kind of like looked around. But they didn't move anything because every floor, because the back side of the trailer was a trailer home. And they'd built on a living room and a bedroom on the front of it. But all the floors had burned through. My goodness. And everything that was up high fell down, like the refrigerators, yeah. the deep freezes and stuff. Everything had fell through. So they the weren't home. even looking under stuff. No, they didn't move anything. They okay. said they did. They told me they did. Anyway, by the time we mm. get there then, uh, they take it out, and I go up there, and I ask Donna Warren. I said, Donna, that woman on across that waterbed up there is that Kathy. The flames made the water leak. But it didn't actually burst? No, it seeped out. That's uh, why that was okay. only, That's the only okay. reason that part of the bedroom didn't burn, too. You could tell well, they, whoever did it took a string and took it in there. They, As you walk in the front door, because you walk in the door from the south to the north, mm-hmm. you walk in, there's a big wood stove right there. Right. So they had a, it was real pitch black in front of that Stove. The okay. stove caught the house on fire. Well, they went there, then they went around because her couch was this way, and you had to go into the couch opening for the recliner and the couch and around the coffee table because okay. the TV would be right where you are, catty cornered. And then you come out, and then they went around the kitchen table. With accelerant? Uh huh. Walked around and See, just that's, put it around. That's one thing I, I've read Jax's book a couple of times but I never I've never seen that I've never heard well, seven, seven in there. she was told she couldn't put it in there oh, because okay. it's an open investigation sure. right yeah. and when right. we got to the time 
some of the stuff for the review that just come out. So as she did her book, she would have to send it to me and Lisa. Yeah. Yeah, and we would say that makes sense. Can this camp because this is an open case, we right? Known to somebody that did it. Arson investigators determined that the fire had been deliberately set and accelerant had been used. This is one of those pieces of information that wasn't she wasn't at liberty to tell people, even Jacks at the time, because only so, the perpetrators would have known. Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, police actually at the time. You're going to hear me doing that a lot because it's just so, so dumb. So police actually theorized at the time that Danny had killed Kathy and then abducted Ashley and Laura left completely because at that moment in time, no other bodies had been found inside the home. They were immediately like, well, how could he have taken three girls um, when like all of their cars were still up front? The keys were in Laura's car. The keys were actually still in Laura's car. Danny had a white 1990 GMC flatbed truck, and Kathy had a silver 1998 Toyota Corolla. Laura's car was a blue 1989 Chevy Cavalier, all out front. So... (laughs) This is where I shake my head again. (sighs) Yeah, we're about to get in the nitty-gritty. And the girls weren't even entered into a missing persons database at that time. And if you if you're unfamiliar with Bolo, it is where you put out it will put out a signal to all the surrounding law enforcement agencies to let someone to let them know that there is a child missing without actually going to the extent of an amber alert. Uh and and here's the thing too is that um you and I were trying to think, like, why didn't they e- even put out an Amber Alert? We were like, oh, well, maybe it didn't exist at the time. No. In fact, it did. It was actually put into effect in 1996. I knew it was somewhere right yeah. around there, but I could, you know, I was sitting there thinking, when did the Amber Hagerman three, case happen? Three years before. Okay, so pretty yeah. close. Mm-hmm. Pretty new. Amber Alert would have been pretty new. I mean, dreamily new at that point. It would have been, but because, I think that's a plus side, because it's so new, everybody, I feel like, would have known about it and would have been more apt to use it. But their social media wasn't like it is now. That is true. That is true. It's hard to know. Um, Yeah, and that is the thing. Um, Like, how did they put out an Amber Alert back in the day? Because now, we all know when there's an Amber Alert, we get text messages, Mm -hmm. literally forced text messages that it's like amber alert here's the information back then it was like well all you had was the television all you had was broadcast radio yeah and so like there There were no cell phones no no cell phones nothing else to warn you you had to see it in the little uh ticker tape across the bottom of the tv and it would break in with the you know the when they do especially the beep, 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 you're from beep, or whatever Oklahoma, you know the beep 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 from the tornado break-in yeah. so this would be one of those type yeah. of um break-ins like you would see with the tornado warning however they didn't even they didn't use that they didn't put out an amber no. alert they didn't put out a bolo they didn't enter them into the missing person database nothing if you think that they were just kidnapped why would you not enter them into some form of database why would you not at least put out a bolo? I remember when we when I worked for um, for dispatch, that was like the first thing we did because you put out a bolo, it goes over the the radio 
waves to the other officers working. So now they are aware of what vehicle they're looking for, description of the people that they're looking for, just in case, you know, they happen by. And and they do at some points, especially when you're in a small town. There's only so many places to go. (laughs) There's no answers to that either, unfortunately. No, no. So Laura was supposed to be back home by 9 a.m. that that morning. Uh, she had a dentist appointment she was supposed to go to, um, and she was supposed to be home in time to go to this dentist appointment with her mom, Lorene. Uh, but by 8.40, Laura's brother Brad was calling Lorene to tell her that the Freeman home was on fire, and he had actually heard this from his girlfriend, who lived in Welch at the time. After CCSO noted Laura's car at the scene, Deputy Troy Messick made the drive from Welch to downtown Vanita to find Lorene, who was working in Vanita at the time. County deputies showed up at the McDonald's there in Vanita, the one on Main Street. I worked at that one at that time. Walked in at uh, five minutes to eight and asked me. My son called me a little bit before that and says, Mom, because I tried to call the Freeman's house, so, Laura, you need to get home because we have dentist appointments in Grove. Right. But it just rang and rang and rang. That was before cell phones. Yeah. 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 And uh, he said, his girlfriend Jennifer called him and said that she heard that the Freeman's house was on fire. I said, well, you take your bike and you drive across country and you get up to the Freeman's, see if you can help them and check on your sister. Didn't think anything about it. In walks county deputy, which tells to this day he won't look me in the face. He said, I've never seen a more calmer, collective person in my life with me telling you. But he walked in and said, Lorraine, I need to talk to you. I said, okay. I'd always told him, one of these days, the cops are going to come and take me away from here. <laughs> Today's the day, folks. He said, Lorraine, I really need to talk to you. Okay, let's go back to my little bitty office. Walked in there and he said, do you know Ashley Freeman? I said, yeah, she's my daughter's best friend. In fact, Laura stayed right before last night and again last night because it was so late. Mm-hmm. She's supposed to be driving home, but my son called me and said their house is on fire. I could tell by his face. I said, so it's not on fire, it's total loss. Do you know the location, the layout of the house? I said, yeah. He said, could you tell me? I said, yeah. But you need to call and tell them my son's headed that way. To check on his sister. So when he gets there, they better let him to her. He said, um, he said, can you tell me right quick the layout? I said, you walk in the front door, there's going to be a wood stove as you walk in the front door. I said, you got to go around. And I said, there'll be two recliners against the north wall. You go to the left as you walk around the wood stove will be Danny and Kathy's bedroom. I said, if you go straight, you walk straight into the kitchen. There's a table in the middle of the floor. The bedroom to the right was, used to be Ashley's old bedroom. She moved to the end of the hall, to the back bedroom. And then there'll be a bathroom, and then that's where Ashley had took his bedroom. She liked it better. He said, okay. And I said, well, did they find anybody? He said, well, they found our body, Lorraine. I said, well, what do they think it is? He said, well, it's laying over the bed. I said, well, have they found any others? And he said, no. I said, okay. Didn't scream, didn't yell, wasn't crying. He said, uh, well, thank you for your information. Um, if we hear of anything, I'll let you know. What? And he left. 
he said, Lane, no clue where your daughter is. We haven't found any. But he didn't know. Yeah. I mean, that's it. By that time, they'd shut it down. And he was just... Once they found Kathy, they quit looking. The county did. Jeez. So I called Jay. And I said, you got about 10 minutes to make it from Langley, Oklahoma to Venita, Oklahoma. Getting Kathy's place burned to the ground, there's one body. He said, Where, where's the others? I said, don't know. But you need to get here and you better drive like hell. Somebody starts to stop you, bring them on in here. They can take us on to Wells. So he got there and we left and, and went to Wells. Maureen immediately called her husband, Jay, who came and picked her up and they headed straight to the Freemans. So Lorene and Jay arrived at 9.15. By this time, the deputies had the house blocked off and Jay and Lorene um, could only get as far as the end of the driveway at this point. This is where they will stay for the next 10 hours. It's a long driveway, too. Yeah, it yeah it is. Extremely long. The house sits on this weird kind tee. Of, it's like a T in the road. It's a different... Uh, it's very... It, it's not a cul-de-sac. It kind of looks like a cul-de-sac, it's but almost, with one street that goes it, off of it. Yeah, it's kind of awkward um, because depending on which way you're coming from if you're coming from the main road you can run right into it yes uh but it's definitely sits on a t where where you know the road goes in front of it the opposite way having been there now and like knowing how many people were there and like everybody that was at the end of that driveway it's like hard to know where they were because there's not a lot of room no. at the end of that driveway you, they would have had to been off Just of it on the everywhere, yeah. everywhere i mean there it's really almost like if you go straight towards it you go past almost where it tees mm-hmm. off before the house yeah. is yeah. so you actually have to back up a little bit to go off on the t yes yeah you do yeah it's very it's a very awkward spot it, it's different yeah um, which is another reason why I think, and we'll, we'll get to this later, but I think that whoever did this knew that property. You know what I mean? Oh, it's not something you just stumble upon. No, no, it is not. Like like I said, we got lost on the way there. Uh, we ended up having to turn around and go back the other direction because we thought it was on one end, it wasn't on, it was on the other end, blah, blah, blah. But you, you definitely can't just have the address and get there no. and know where you're going like you need to know this home previously i feel like to have you know got in and out and done this but but anyway okay so um keep that in mind they 9 15 a.m they stayed there for 10 hours got there and walked up there and they're like i said so what's the deal the Hayes boys walked down there, and they're like, well, we... I said, so you found a body laying over that bed? And they're like, yeah. I said, well, I guarantee it's Kathy. Does she have a ring on? He said, well, there's one on the left hand. I said, well, that's Kathy. So where's Danny and the two girls? They're somewhere up there. This is 5.30 in the morning. They'd have been asleep. They're going to be in that fire. Well, we've already called OSBI. We can't do anything till they get here. Well, how long is that going to take? Well, they'll be here by 10, 10, 15, 10, 20. And then around 10 or 11 a.m., the uh, OSBI finally shows up. They're led by Steve Nutter. He had come from Owada County Sheriff's Office, which is the next county over where he was actually working another case. And um, the OSBI finally, at that time, called the county coroner. 11 a.m., um, the ADA, Clint Ward, 
actually made an appearance on scene at one point. And he was heard. Now, this is the assistant district attorney. He was overheard by several bystanders saying that Danny owed a lot of money in drug debt. I don't know how he knew this. I'm not sure how he knew this, but he said that Danny at the time was the prime suspect. He did. So it's almost like they're they're setting the narrative open and closed to them. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Okay, here we sit and wait. They pull in, they pull up there. What's his name? Gets out with his boots on and his big Stetson and walks up there. Looks at the body, tells him to call the county coroner. So by that time, she calls and she, when they call her, she says, well, tell them I'll be there as quick as I can. I'm doing an accident here. So we sat. We wait. Now it's 3.30 p.m. The coroner finally gets there. Um, her name was Donna Warren. Lorreen actually knew her personally. They had, um, she had been Lorreen's mother's primary care physician and so she actually knew her and um she actually told Lorraine that she couldn't outright ID the body as Kathy at that point but she did notice that the woman was wearing a wedding band on her left hand and that she had quote bore children so that's Kathy and she said well I can tell you this she's got a ring on her left hand and she has bored children Mm-hmm. Well, that's not neither one of the 16-year-old girls, so it's Kathy. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I said, okay, have they seen any other bodies? And she said, Lorraine, they say they did. They've looked. That's mm-hmm. what they spent before I got here. you you got to remember it's cold, it's dark. By that time, there's no lights or nothing. But by the time she got there, they got the body out. It was 2.30, and then they made a quick look of, okay, we're going to look now that the body's not there. Shortly after 4 p.m., Kathy's body was driven away from the scene. At 5 p.m., OSBI was sure there was nothing left to investigate. Uh, So they released the crime scene to Dwayne Vansel. Remember the stepbrother who was the first one there from the family. After they just found a body... Uh-huh. And they still don't know where three people are. Nope. They released the scene. They I just released have to the add scene. that in. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. It is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Uh huh. Dwayne actually said that Steve Nutter handed him the search warrant they had used to investigate the property. Handed it to him. And he noticed on it that it was obtained at 2.06 p.m. And Lorene says it best. The cars had briefly been inspected for evidence. No furniture had been overturned. No searches of the larger property of, as a whole had been done. And it's a pretty large property. It's a pretty large property. And still, no bolo had been put out for the girls or Danny. Because I had enough evidence, I could have started World War III with the OSBI. But that's what it was between the Freemans and the Sheriff's Department for a year of fighting. That's how we ended up where we were at. Yeah. Because everybody decided Danny went off the Because somebody called in. A thing that said they thought they'd saw Danny at a gas station in a white Ford truck with the two girls. With the girls, right. And he wanted to trade the girls for David. Oh, my gosh. Hayes. So the whole time they were knowing this while we were standing out there, never said a word till later that evening. Oh, well, they were going to wait till the next day because they talked to Dwayne that night. And Dwayne said, well, if he's hit out, and he's, quote, on the old Freeman property. It's three miles from where we were at at the fire. 
on a baseball, but you guys should have gone over there and talked to the guy, the Brown, Mr. Brown, that owns that land. He would have let you win, starts. So Dwayne told him, he said, well, I'll go talk to the Browns in the morning, find out exactly if Danny's over there. I told him, I said, well, okay, daylight, we're going to be up to Freeman's house, because they turned the whole scene over to us at 5 o'clock the first night. It was quick to follow that hunt. Yeah. His Danny went off the bench, shot Kathy, took the girls. Okay, so Kathy, let me tell you about Kathy. Kathy was a stay-at-home mom. Um, Danny went off to work every day. When Danny was younger, and this is kind of important, but I'm going to tell you about his past a little here. So when he was younger, he had accidentally shot himself in the forehead um, while he was cleaning his rifle. And the breech plug in the rear of the muzzleloader barrel blew back into his head and through his skull. Well, the plug actually had lodged in his brain. Danny drove himself to the hospital. He waited in the ER for two hours, got sick of waiting, left, drove another two hours to another hospital, and doctors were immediately like, oh my God, oh my God, what happened? And they immediately took him into the OR for literal brain surgery. They had to replace part of his skull with bone um, from his hip. And I believe somewhere, I think it was Dwayne that said that he had a plate put in there, um, in the front of his skull. A metal plate. Yeah, a metal plate. When the Freemans used to live across the section from our house instead of up at Welch, mm-hmm. he, he sold drugs, he sold marijuana, but he didn't take care of his family. And we know that because all of us girls, all our kids, played together. Ran around together, yeah. And there would be times we'd check with Kathy and say, oh, is everything all right? And she said, well, I don't know what we're going to do. So all us young mothers would pull together and we'd make sure that the kids had what they needed, groceries, because what he wanted to do was top priority. Get mad if you don't do what I want. I'm the king of my castle. Mm-hmm. Lord help you. He worked in shops where drugs were sold. I mean, people in Benita tell you they bought marijuana from him. Uh, the next day... Laura's parents, Laureen and Jay, they went back to the home. They were kind of hoping that they could find some sort of clue of what happened. Uh, They kind of almost knew at that point that the police were not going to help them. Um, They had only been there for five minutes when they made a shocking discovery. Anyway, so we get there the next morning. Me and Jay are step over. We're looking down underneath it. We look up. The floor was over here on the east side of the west side of the trailer. And there was Danny's Rottweiler beside him. I was laying there beside him, and Jay says, Lori, be careful. That Rottweiler's up here. And I said, oh, she's she's tame. She's not bad. And she got up, and Jay's like, Lori, come here. He said, there's a body up there. So we climbed up on the floor, looked at it. Had no face. So you just, you could just see with your eyes. You didn't yeah. have to touch anything or move he anything. He was laying like this. His feet was actually touching the waterbed, and he was laying back to the east. Laying in the doorway. His head and shoulders was in the doorway of the bedroom. His see feet him. was touching the waterbed. 
up against the wall was along this. This arm was laying in the wall when the house burned. Yeah. A few times I was up there, at times getting Laura or dropping Laura off. Her and Ashley was going to a ball game or whatever. The dog wasn't mean. Like just docile, didn't care. You know, I come walking up and you pet it. So it wasn't a vicious walk. So probably- but like I said, we raised the dog, got up and walked off of there and we found Danny's body. And by that time, Dwayne come driving up and said that he'd been over there to the people that owned their old Freeman property. And he said there was a hunter and his son had been there for a week in a white red, white cord truck. He looked and he said, oh my God, Noreen. So Jay said, what are you going to do? I said, well, i got to go two miles up the road here and I'll make a phone call. And I mean, my 911 call, if they'd ever release it, shows. My name is Lorraine Bible. I'm at the Danny Freeman, Danny and Kathy Freeman property yesterday where they took Kathy out of the fire. There was no bodies. There's a body. Denny. I was like, could you repeat what you just said? I said, we found Danny Freeman today. Would you like to send somebody up here, please? Thank you. So I drove two miles and said, okay, a deputy will be here. I knew it was the same deputy that come the day before, and he looked at me and he said, Lorreen, said, just get up here and look at this body. Danny's hair the whole time. And that's why I told the, her name was Czar, a black lady from OSBI. And she said, well, you're the mom. You tell me where you think your daughter is. I said, you're the expert. You tell me. Yeah. This fire happened at 530 in the morning. She should have been inside the house in front of the TV if the girl stayed on the couches watching TV all night mm-hmm. or back in the damn bedroom. We found her purse, found some of her clothes, so she should have been in there. So you tell me. And her keys were still in her car, right? Yep, keys were still in the car. They didn't even open up the trunks to see if maybe they'd shoved them in the trunk. My goodness. Killed them and shoved them in there till we made them the second day. Danny had a pistol that he carried underneath the front seat of his truck. And that's what Drain was wanting. He said if Danny would have left, he would have took that pistol. He carried it with him everywhere. Dwayne went back there after he got done the first night with the sheriff department talking to everybody. And he went up there and he said it was underneath the seat of that truck. No, he, he was laying there the whole time. So I have stuff from at the time that was given to our Benita Daily Journal that the scene was turned over to the family because they'd gotten all the evidence. I went to the guy that owned the newspaper, and I said, he said, Lorraine, I'll give you this, but I ain't no way in hell I'm going to print that. He said, that's going to get me. He said, I am so sorry, young lady. I said, can I have a copy of that? So when I get ready to go up against the OSBI, he said, yep, here you go. I said, right now, I don't want, that's where we got to this point, people not doing their jobs. Yeah. Yeah. It's the bickering and the fighting. I said, it has to be about the girls till we can find, locate the girls now. Danny and Kathy was in the fire. We got to find those girls. And that's my mission now. Pretty, he looked and he said, oh my God. He, in fact, he quit within two weeks. He quit the sheriff to call me. And uh, he yeah. called on his little walkie-talkie that back in the day they had all those things that, you know, you see them. Mm-hmm. And he talked and he said, he gave him his badge number and he said, what I was sent up here to do north of Welch or west of Welch, northwest of Welch, is confirmed. Because he wasn't supposed to say, because people had police scanners back mm-hmm. in the day, yeah. lots oh, of people. Yeah. Well, it didn't take long. Boy, we had... Tons of OSBI agents walking up telling us, get the hell back. My husband said, let me tell you, this is not your scene. 
You turned it over to the families last night, yes or no? Well, yeah, but uh, I said, he said, no. Today, you got us. I'm going to be in your back. No, I'm going to be in your damn front pocket all day. I'm not, my ass ain't going nowhere. Well, we need to quarantine this. Did you guys not say, and I was saying it loud enough, 150 people sat there listening to me. Did you not say you were the experts? Yes or no? You, according to that czar. <laughs> you told me you were an expert. You searched. How the hell did you miss that body laying right over there? In fact, go look at it real close. You can see a boot print up and down his torso and his legs. You, they're your boots from yesterday, the ones you got on today. You walked on the body and couldn't feel the difference. So don't give me, don't give me shit. Don't tell me you did your jobs. You didn't. Then he's been laying here the whole damn time. You tell me. They had missed another body, burned almost beyond recognition. It was identified as Danny. He had also been shot to death at close range with a shotgun. So Ashley and Laura's bodies weren't there. They found Danny. They found Kathy. They had searched themselves and they were not there. Nor were they in the vicinity because they had searched the property. She said they searched every inch. They did, yeah. You people could have done your jobs. You didn't. So today, me, our family, and those 150 people standing there will do what needs to be done. What are you going to do? I said, well, those people are going to form a line and we're going to start picking stuff up. Well, what are you looking for? What if those girls are underneath the refrigerator or the stove or the table or something that's fell over them on their way out? So we formed a line. They're like, well, we don't want If You know what? The scene's already been compromised, you stupid people. We're going to form a line. They're all going to form a line, and we're going to start doing it. Some of these guys are big and strong enough guys. They can pick up stuff, and we're going to make a pile of shit out there. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we did. And then when we got everything out that we could, then we called in people, brought big chop saws. We cut the trailer axles in half. Hooked up a tractor to him, and we pulled it apart till we was on the floor. Yeah. There was four guys that walked in that house. Daddy had a lot of rifles, him and Shane and Ashley. They all had rifles. We'd set them out on the west side of that trailer, and they stood there for months out there. Did they ever look to see if any of those guns were missing? No. And none of those were, like, put in evidence or anything, were they? No. I think they come there because Daddy owed somebody money. It's prime time, what? so when they're done, they knew he collected arrowheads. I mean, this is somebody he knew that come there. Yeah. yeah, well, that's what we're told. They did not know the girls were there. Laura's purse was actually left behind with her driver's license and $200 inside. Either the robbers did not get to that area of the they didn't know house. The girls were there. They didn't know the girls were there, um, and that probably robbery was not on their high to do list, or they probably would have just grabbed a purse and gone. You know, so you know this this su- suggests that also that the girls were abducted and that they didn't just leave. Um, on their own. That's such a And long even time. when the SBI agents got there, they kind of like looked around, but they didn't move anything because every floor, because the back side of the trailer was a trailer home and they'd built on a living room and a bedroom on the front of it. 
But all the floors had burned through. My goodness. And everything that was up high fell down, like the refrigerators, yeah. the deep freezes and stuff. Everything had fell through. So they the weren't home. even looking under stuff. No, they didn't move anything. They okay. said they did. They told me they did. <laughs> From what we've heard, is that the girls ran out the back door, ran out into the pasture, and was right. like bent down, like they were hiding, while all this was taking place inside the house. The house catch fire, and the girls popped up. By that time, the guys were all outside, and they saw them. They went around them and grabbed them and took them out of there. You've reached the end of our episode. All suspects are innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Join Raven next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?